Hey, good morning. Everyone, real fast, get, stand up with me for real fast. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Let's do it, let's do it, let's do it. Let's give each other a few high fives. Come on, three high fives. Let's do it. Come on, come on, three high fives. Come on, come on. Hit it up, hit it up. I made every introvert want to leave right there. Every introvert wants to leave right now. All right, everyone sit down. Go ahead and sit down. Let's go. Sometimes, sometimes we need some help to get the, uh, the daylight savings time out of our blood. Amen. Hey, so excited uh, to, to be here. We're, we're week number three of our series, Running in Circles. Um, we're asking the question, um, how do we love like Jesus loved? John 15 uh, tells us a, a, about a commandment that Jesus gives us. It says, this is my commandment. Love each other in the same way that I have loved you. There's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. And so we're talking, we've been spending the last few weeks in that, we're going to spend the next few weeks in that, and we're trying to figure out the question, trying to answer the question, how do we love like Jesus uh, loves? And the Bible gives us really six different concepts um, that we need to begin to look at in order to, to say that. If, if, if Jesus says, love like I love, you've got to say, how do you love like Jesus loved? The Bible gives us six ways, um, six different things, if you want to go to that slide there. It says, it says that you commit to each other, that you support with each other, that there's a rugged commitment with each other to be with each other through the, the, the uglies and the beautifuls, the, the, the death and the life, and everywhere in between. You want to be with each other, and we're really modeling after the way Jesus loves us, the covenant that Jesus made with us. We are then representing and making true in our relationships with each other. And so we, we, we commit to each other. You make a rugged commitment um, to, to, be with, to be with each other through all of this to help each other grow. And then the next few weeks, we're going to look at how you are safe, how you push each other, how you help build each other, how you resolve conflict with each other, and how you can be trusted in relationships. And so for the next number of weeks, we're going to figure out how do we love like Jesus loved. And today we're going to talk about how you are safe. Uh, before we get going real fast, um, there are some uh, Bibles under your seats. We, we, we went out and we put some Bibles. Uh, we, we bought Bibles for, for the, the, as much as we could on the balcony and the floors in, in there. So if you look underneath your seat right now, there is a Bible. Um, and if it's not there, it's somewhere in the rack. And if it's not there, it's on the floor. And if it's, not, if it's still not there, someone took it. And we'll call them for that afterwards or whatever. Um, but here's the thing. If there is, if you have, if you don't own a Bible, um, that's yours to take. That's your, that's your, that's our gift to you. Um, if you do have a Bible at home, why don't you just leave that there for the next one? It'd be good. Thanks. Um, it'd be good. But we're going to be in Colossians chapter three today, which is page number nine, uh, So you want to hang out there? Um, be nine, page nine eighty-eight. We'll be in there. So we're talking about how you are safe today. When I was in high school, um, we, we had this, this season in high school called ev- where everyone had to take the ASVAB test. Everyone remember that? Said, Woo, yay. No, or maybe not. Um, everyone had to take the ASVAB, meaning that the military wanted, was trying to figure out whether they wanted you to, be, to join the military, right? So my, my brother, when he took it, like, he took it, and like the day after, he had like all these, all, like, he had other countries calling him, trying to have him join the military, right? When, and, and so, but I, I had a mentor in high school growing up, and, and he looked at me, and he said, he said, Brandon, it's vitally important. Everyone look at me right here. Every, well, hey, Brandon, look at me right now. It's vitally important you do not join the military. 
I said, why? why? <laughs> Thanks for the encouragement. Why do you not want me to join the military? He said, because, he said, look, there's two people in the world. There's two types of people in the world. There's, there's one type of person that, that when, the, when the commander comes up to you and says, Brandon, take the hill, they're going to say, yes, boss, we're going to take the hill. Come on, guys, let's take the hill. If we take the hill, everyone's going to win. We're eventually, we'll win the battle, eventually win the war. Let's take the hill. And he goes, Brandon, you are not that person. You are not that person, right? And I said, okay, what's the other? He said, there's a the second type of person. He said, there's a person that says, or the commander comes up and said, Brandon, you got to take the hill. If you take the hill, we're going to win the battle. We eventually win the war. You need to take the, take the hill. And he said, you know what the type of person you are? You're going to be the person that says, why? Why are you taking, why do we, I know what happens when you take that hill. Bad things happen when you take hills like that. People die. Things don't happen. He said, he said, we don't need people like that on the front lines of our military, okay? And, and, and actually, my ASVAB test confirmed my, my future would not be in the military. So thank the Lord that he, he lets me speak from time to time here. Um, so he lets me feed my family and all, all those cool things like that. But he says, there's two types of people. People that look at the hill and says, let's take the hill. And other people that say, uh, you know, Let's wait a second. Let's talk about this a little bit more, right? And so, but we all have situations like that in our life where you have a hill in your life. You could have a gap in your life that you're looking at. And there's really two different things that we could do to do this, two different ways that we could take um, as we approach gaps and hills in our life. We can either say, let's jump it, let's do it, let's go for it. Or we say, I don't know, I'm going to wait and I'm going to not take that hill right now. Maybe I'll take it in a few years when I feel better, and I'll take it in a few, maybe in a decade when everything seems to line up a little bit differently. I'll do that then at that point. And, and we all have these situations, we all have these hills in our life where we're trying to make the decision whether we should grow or, or go, whether we should grow some and get better or whether we should move away from the gap entirely and kind of just stay where we need to stay and be where we need to be. And, and that's really the story of a, of a man named Epaphras which is one of Paul's friends in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul wrote most of the New Testament, and actually just, just second to his friend Luke that we talked about last week. Um, he, he wrote a lot of the New Testament, was responsible for starting most of the churches in the first century um, in the New Testament. And, 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 and he has a friend named Epaphras, and, and, and Epaphras was converted and, and, and started following Jesus because of his friendship with Paul. Um, and, and, and Epaphras was, one, was from a city called uh, Colossae. Now, Colossae was just was in the middle of this valley. He would have met Paul in a city called Ephesus, and, but 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 Epaphras was 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 home to was 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 home in Colossae. So they meet Paul. Paul Epaphras meets Jesus, and and eventually or quickly, Paul realizes that Epaphras has gifting. He knows that he is a smart guy. He's got a lot of leadership capacity, and so he sends him back to his home in Colossae to plant churches. And so in the first three years of Epaphras's life as a follower of Christ, he plants, his, he plants three churches, like, you know, holy all-star, right? Like, holy cow. It's also, like, disturbing, the idea of, <laughs> the idea of three churches started by somebody who just met, just met the Lord, too. It could be kind of funny. So, so what happens is, though, he starts three churches in three years, and eventually he hits a leadership lid. He hits a capacity that he does not, ex- that he does not have any longer. He, and, and what happens is in the church of Colossae, they're stuck in a cycle of immaturity. 
They have a they have a they have a, a a way of teaching and a way of believing. It's like a combination of mysticism and Jewishness and some philosophy from the world. And they kind of put it all together and they called it Christianity. And Epaphras just really didn't know how to overcome this 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 ideology that had overtaken his church. And really, what it what what Paul calls it. He calls it immaturity. He says you're just an immature church that you need to grow into maturity, that although some of you might believe in Christ um, and, and actually pursue Christ, some of you aren't, and, and the, entire, the entire body really needs to pursue maturity together. And so Epaphras just knows he doesn't have the capacity for this, and he says, I need to find someone that knows. And so he leaves Colossae, goes back to Ephesus where Paul is, and he knocks on Paul's door. And he says, hey, you remember when you asked me to plant some churches? Well, I'm just stuck right now. I'm at, I'm at a gap, right? I'm at a gap. And, and I want the church to grow into maturity. I want the church to grow into all that it's becoming and should become as a followers of Christ. But I just don't know how to do it. I don't know where we should go next. And Paul begins to chat with them and talk with them because he, here's, what, here's what we know um, that Paul, between Paul and Epaphras, their relationship was a safe relationship. In our life, in our stories, we, we all have hills and gaps that we might need to get to eventually. And we, might need, and we need to make a decision. But what happens is, is in those gaps, when we're faced with who we are and who we really want to be, that gap, when we're faced with that, all sorts of anxiety can rise up from that. It could be the type of thing where we step back and think, you know, I'm just not ready to take this hill yet. I'm not ready to jump into this gap yet. Science actually shows this. Science says that, that you will actually, ha- the, the right facial expression a lot of times will, 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 will simply allow you to be paralyzed and not pursue hills and not, not jump into gaps. The right, the right uh, facial expression, maybe the, right wor- the wrong word from somebody will send you into like an anxious free fall. It happens all the time with people, and you get stuck in this paralysis to say, you know what, I, 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 feel like, I feel like I want to do what I need to do. I feel like I want to grow and do all this, but I'm just struck with anxiety. I'm just struck with this ability that I just can't take that step forward. And, and it's actually, you, there's actually a lot of science that goes into this. There's, a, there's actually a brain, a part of your brain that is responsible for this. So last night I stayed up all night trying to draw this, so I know you'll appreciate that. Um, but there's really three major parts to your brain, and, and information flows up through your brain, uh, your brain stem. And then it, right in the part of your brain here, there's something called the reptilian complex. You're like, really? It's 10 o'clock on, 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 on daylight savings time weekend, and we're going reptilian complex on us this morning? Yes, uh, just, just bear with me here. Repti- you know, you go up to, information travels up your brain stem into this reptilian complex. And, and you can thank God for your reptilian complex for breathing. Because it takes over all of the ways that you're safe, like all of the ways that you stay alive. It's responsible for taking care of all the systems that make, that make sure that you're breathing throughout the day. So next time you're in prayer, say, God, thank you so much for the reptilian complex that allows me to breathe throughout the, throughout the week. So it goes up there, and that's really trying to keep you safe. It's really trying to make sure everything, you, you stay alive. And then that, from there, it, it, information moves right into that, into the limbic system. Now, the limbic system is responsible for all of your emotions. Now, listen, information is going to, you're going to see something or feel something. You'll be in a situation. You're, that information is going to go up into your reptilian complex, and it's going, your brain's going to decide whether or not it, you're safe. Your brain's going to decide whether or not you're in a good spot, whether you're, where you, there could be threat to your life. 
if it passes that test, it's going to continue into the limbic system. The limbic system is going to say, okay, there's emotions that are tied to this situation. What's brilliant or like fascinating about the limbic system is that you will actually feel emotion before you remember the memory of why you're feeling that emotion. Okay? So you, your body will recall emotion like, like tons faster than it will recall memories. And so you'll stay in the middle of a situation, and you'll feel something, and you don't know why you're feeling it. You don't remember what could be causing this. What ends up happening is minutes, hours, and sometimes even days later, you remember, oh, I remember why I feel like this. It's called the emotional self-awareness. You understand why you're feeling what you're feeling and where that's coming from. When you're standing in front of a hill, when you're standing at your gap and you're not sure whether you should jump over it or try to take that hill, what ends up happening is your body is frozen by emotion and anxiety and things that are tri- like just tripping you up. It's at that moment that you no longer have the structure necessary by yourself to grow past that issue. And what do you need? You need a buddy. You need a friend. You need someone that can help you get over all of those things. There's, a, there's a, a CEO by the name of Ed Catmull, and he talks about this idea called the brain trust. Ed Catmull, he's the CEO of a, of a small organization called Pixar. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. Um, took me a long time to start it back in the day, and it worked, it worked out good. I gave it to Ed as a, a, you know, just as a help. Um, but no, he, no, they write small little stories that you might have seen before. But he, he talks about this idea called a brain trust. And he says the brain trust organizationally, you'll be able to get out of whatever absorption you're in in order to make sure that you are pursuing growth and pursuing health and pursuing uh, progress. Brain trusts are the things that do that. And so it's, it's this idea that came actually started back in the 1930s with, the pre- with, with, uh, with uh, uh, presidents and, sta- and state leaders where they would go to people outside of their cabinet for wisdom, outside their cabinet for people, for, for more insight to what they're, going, what, what they're going through. And so exactly, exactly at that moment, your, your body and brain, they're being, they're being struck by anxiety, being struck by all this emotion. They're not really sure what's happening. You go to somebody else in this brain trust idea that says, this is what you need. This is who you need. This is what you need to do next. And what they do is they defang the failures and the circumstances of your life. How many are so thankful? You might be thinking of a person right now that you would go to this, you would go to for this, or you might have someone that you already go to for this. But it's the person that you go to that just helps life feel a little bit better. It defangs the circumstances of your life. So you could have gone through a transition. You could have be struggling with a certain area of your life. You could be potentially thinking about a new career or a new job. And the anxiety of that really takes away from the joy of your life. And what, and what really kind of the, the Bible is teaching us and, what, and really what, what our bodies are teaching us is saying you need another person or a group of people to get out of the absorption of your own emotions so that you can see how to take a next step and grow and get better. Are we tracking this morning? And so this is what Epaphras, our little buddy Epaphras, is doing when he meets with Paul. When he leaves Colossae and goes to Ephesus to meet with Paul, he's acknowledging, he says, I can't do this by myself. I need someone to help me. I need someone to grow. I need someone to be in this brain trust idea. 
And so the question I want to ask today, really the question I want to answer is, what does a brain trust of people that help me grow look like? Um, and it's going to be from the letter of Colossians. When Epaphras met with Paul, that conversation turned into a letter. And that letter goes back to the church of Colossae. And, 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 and they begin to read it out with a bunch of other letters as well. But they begin to read it out loud as a way to teach them, hey, this is what Paul thinks about our current situation. And he's going to tell us what the values of a group of people like this looks like. For us at Community Covenant, we experience this fully in our community groups. If you're not in some sort of, so, some sort of realm of community or some, some sort of community group, you need to get in one. That could be one within our church or it could be one outside of our church or however that you might feel. You need to be in one because that's the only time that you're going to be able to get to a point where you experience what we're talking about here. It's this corner four relationship that says that we can actually pursue Christ together in a trusted, connected way. And so really there's four values to what this brain trust will, exp- will, will help us experience, what this brain trust what you kind of have to agree to in order to make it meaningfully uh, connecting. And so we're going to do that from the, from the book of Colossians today, the letter that Paul would have written after that meeting with Epaphras. And so there's four things that we want to talk through. Number one, brain trust, they value, they value heaven. They value heaven. And this is the first thing that they're centered on. This is what you're agreeing to as someone, a follower of Christ, someone who's engaged with who he, with who he is, as someone who's now being changed by him. You're saying we are centered on the gospel, centered on heaven. So number one, Colossians 3 verse 1 says this. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth, for you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. So he says, since you've been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven. So this person for you, this Epaphras to Paul, Epaphras leaves and goes to Paul, this person for you needs to first center you on Christ. That's the first thing he needs to do. He needs to remind you of your identity in him. He says that you're not, you're not, of, uh, you're not, you're not broken any longer, that you are actually a, a follower of Christ. You're adopted by him. He doesn't just love you. He likes you. He wants to be with you. And so that when you're in moments of anxiety and moments of circumstances that are stu- and you're stuck in the fangs of your circumstances, this person is going to be able to say, hey, you, Christ is our center. Heaven is our, is our center. We need to be about him. And the first thing that you acknowledge when Christ is your center and you're a gospel-centered community, first thing you realize is that we all have junk. We all have junk. And here's what happens. Whether you have been following Jesus for three minutes for 30 years, you're going to be tempted with portraying the best version of yourself so that you feel better about yourself and knowing that no one sees my junk. That's, you're going to be tempted with that right away because you desire people to like you. That's like a part of humanity. You just want people to value and enjoy you. But, but what ends up happening is you have all this mess. Sometimes we have like a, just a backpack or like a wagon full of stuff that we bring along with us. And the temptation that we have is to forget that that exists or to downplay that like it's not a big deal. But when you say that that Christ is our center, we're acknowledging that we don't have it all together. That the, the very center of Christianity is saying there's more to life than what we see. 
that there's more to life than who we are, that there's okay to not be okay. And so when, you, when, you're Christ, when Christ is the center of this relationship, they're going to remind you that there's more to the story. There's more to things happening and that we're going to have this junk that we're going to throw, that, that we're going to throw at the feet of the cross. Now listen, I see this more with people who have been following Christ for 30 years than three minutes. Because what happens is when people are first following Christ, they're reminded of all the ways that they're not like him, and they begin to say, okay, I need to grow. I need to pursue Christ. I need to take steps with him. But someone who's been, married, someone who's been following Christ for 30 years, what ends up happening is they say, well, I, I, you know, I, I should have it all together by now. I should be done growing. I should be here, and I might not be. And so what I'm going to do is throw it all away, pretend like it's not there. So like, hey, I know my marriage is kind of tough right now, and I know my finances, are, but, you know, but God's good, everything's good, I, I get all of that, whatever. And we don't trust in each other to actually help each other pursue Christ. And we have to understand that we all have junk that we need to bring to that group or to that person and just say, here, here's what I, I know you're going to remind me about who Christ is. Because here's what, I, here's what I love. The second value of a brain trust that this type of person that, that we're talking to, the, the, value, the second value of this is not just heaven, but that it's, hum, it's human. Is that we're all image bearers. That we're all like, just inherently valuable to God. So not only are you, are, are you, not only is it heaven that is based at the center of this relationship, but that it's humanity, that we are actually centered on who he is, that we all are inherently valuable to Christ. Because here's the temptation. When we have all this junk back here that we don't want to talk about, we don't want to see, especially to another person, what we're actually fighting with is whether or not we feel valuable, whether or not we feel defective. And we're stuck in this reality of saying, you know what? I, I feel like I got all this stuff here, and it's okay to talk about it. I, I'm not there yet, God. It's still working in me. Here's my sin. Here's my junk that I'm working on. But we know that when you meet with this person, that when you meet with this group, the first thing they're going to lead with is that, hey, I got junk too. And two, that doesn't make you invaluable to God. At that point, we really should be able to really be free and vulnerable with who we are. If our value to God is not questioned, and really all of us are saying, me too. I got stuff too. It might be different, but it's all the same stuff. You should be able to say, okay, that's it. And, and you can see Paul talk about it here in Colossians 1, verses 3 and 4. He says, to, uh, he says to the church, he says, for you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. And so he's going to tell them, hey, you know what? You have a life hidden in Christ. That is your life now. I love the, the kind of the image of that, that it's hidden within it. So we have to, sometimes we need people to kind of help expose it. You know, like we need help to, to kind of brush things away and say, look, look here, your life is now in Christ. And it's okay to have these things, but our, our ultimate identity is a Christ follower. And he's putting all of this back together. So he says, okay, this person's going to be, you're going to be able to go to this person and say, here's, here's, here's what I messed up, or, or maybe here's my gap. 
It's, a, it's an area of growth that I need. It might be a blind spot that you have that someone told you about. It could be something, that, uh, whatever it is. You've got this gap between who you are and who you want to be, and you go to this person. They remind you about Christ, that heaven is really ultimately where we are, that he's shaping us to be more like him, that it's okay to not be okay. But then ultimately they're going to follow that up with, yeah, it's okay to not be okay, but, but that doesn't mean you need to question your value to God. When he created you, when, when, he, sa- when he says he saw you in your mother's womb and, and pieced you together, when he says I adopted you as my son and my daughter, it means that we're going to waver and we're going to wax and we're going to wane and we're going we're gonna to fall either way. We're going to stray from the, from the path that we, need to stray, that we need to walk. But ultimately this person's going to say, that doesn't change how valuable you are to the creator of all things. And when you got these two things working together, man, I, I can't imagine what type of things you'll be able to dive into with that person. And I'll tell you what, it is awesome at the end of a crazy week to be able to call somebody up. I got three or four guys like this in my life. I can say, hey, man, this, this is a tough week. This is a tough week. And they'll be able to say, Hey, I had one too. Like a couple weeks ago, I had one, and it just was nuts. Because ultimately, you know that the relationship is safe enough that no matter what you say to them, the relationship's not going to fall apart, and they're going to help bring you back to life. And that's a good place to be. That's a good place to be. Epaphras knows this. Epaphras knows this. He goes, all right, I, I'm stuck at my gap, but, and I need, to, I need this massive issue in our church that I need to overcome, and I need to get to Paul, and he needs to help me with this so that I have a structure beyond myself. But here's the deal. A lot of times we stop here. As followers of Christ, we stop here. We say, okay, I, I have junk. I get that. I can acknowledge that. And so that often looks like, hey, I, I, you know, I have junk. That's where we stop. And then we go to... Then the next stop, we go, okay, well, it's okay. Everything's fine. You're still valuable to God. But Paul doesn't stop there. Paul moves now from from heaven into humanity. Third, he moves into honesty. He moves into an honesty that really should move us towards Christ because if you have a a Christ-centered relationship, someone that's going to remind you about who you are in Christ, and this is going to say, no matter what you struggle with, that doesn't, this, that doesn't take away your value from God and how he created you. That doesn't take away that value. And so that should leave us very open to say, okay, I feel very safe in this moment. I feel very safe in this moment. And then watch what Paul does to this church as he leads them into a level of honesty. In verse 5, he says this, So put to death the sinful and earthly things lurking within you, have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater worshiping the things of this world. Because of these things, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when, you were, when your life was still part of this world, but now is time to get rid of anger and rage and malicious behavior, slander and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. In this new life, it doesn't matter if, if you are a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, all the men said amen, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters and he lives in all of us. 
Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults. Forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. So you see how he does that? I mean, he's, he, he goes, I mean, he just lays a smack down on people, doesn't he? Like, that's a pretty serious list of things. But he says, you know what? Christ is who we are. He, this isn't, it doesn't take away from your value, but here's the honesty that we all need to pursue together. Now, for some of us, our home lies within verses 5 through 15, and we think that's Christianity. That's not. That's the result of being a follower of Jesus. Now listen to me. Sometimes we find our security in the fact that we follow rules, and that's not where our security lies. Our security lies in Christ. The fact that he's changing your heart, changing you to become more like him, and as a result, you begin to do things that actually look like who he is. And so you start making decisions then at that point. All right, because my home is in Christ and I'm adopted by him, because I'm valued by God, he's going to change me, and ultimately I'm going to be free to make decisions to become more like him. So he's going to move you into a sense of honesty that you say, okay, where does my life not line up to what God has asked me to do? That's an okay question if you have the value of the creator of the universe. Are we tracking on that this morning? That's a perfectly okay question to say, hey, you know what? I'm not where I need to be. That's okay because it's gospel-centered, and I know that it's okay. And I know ultimately I've been created by, the, by, by God, and I am created with an inherent value. And so let's begin to sort through all of the different ways that I'm not like him. And you know how he does that? Is he puts you with another person. He puts you with another person, or he puts you with a group of people that help you become more like him. That's how he does that. He helps you with other people to change your thinking, to ultimately change your activity so that you can look more like Christ. He does that in relationships. We can't live life alone. We can't do it. He need, we need each other. We need other people to point out those areas in our life that we're not like Christ, and we need to listen to them. We need to listen to them. Because what ends up happening is this, is we, we display our honesty, right? We, we kind of go to the other person, and in honesty, we, we get some honesty back, don't we? Don't we? And that's an okay thing. What ends up happening, though, is we throw, as we throw stuff down, we say, okay, I need to look through this. We have two decisions. We can hear the honesty and flee, or we can hear the honesty and trust in grace and say, I know I'm not where I need to be. Let's figure out how to get better. Let's figure out how to become more like Christ. I, you know, I see that a lot. Man. I see a lot of times where people engage in this conversation to say, hey, look, I see the Bible. I see your life. We're in a trusting relationship. Let me offer some feedback to you. And people make this full of anxiety, full of that stuff that we talked about earlier, and they flee the relationship because they don't want to be, uh, they don't want to grow in that way. And that's not, where we become, that's not the best way to become more like Christ. And so you see this honesty that exists as a result. 
And so, so you see Paul. Paul I, I love this story because you, you see Epaphras. He wants to see his church mature. He wants to see them grow into all that Christ has vision for. He wants to see, he wants to see them grow. He can't do it by himself. So he goes to Paul, and Paul reminds him that this group of people, that this, that, that this relationship, he needs to, we need to be pointing each other to Christ. We need to remind each other that we have an inherent value since we were created in God's image. He says, but I need to be honest with you about where you, where you need to lay out because some of you are doing certain things and thinking it's okay. But lastly, number four, he says, he says that, we are, you know, that we need to be a healthy relationship. This person that you go to or this group of people that you go to needs to be healthy. And simply what healthy can be is that we enjoy each other. Watch the way that the, 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 he finishes this passage. Remember, he just, like, he just laid this smackdown on these guys, right? Like this list of things is pretty serious stuff. In verse 16, he says this. He says, so, so always be thankful. Let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Look at the words that are in this text. You see thankfulness. You see teaching. You see counseling. You see wisdom. You see singing. You see joy. You see gratitude. That's, that's the result of what this type of relationship or this group of relationships can offer in moments of straight anxiety. When you're at your gap or you're standing before your hill and you're not sure whether or not you want to pursue it or jump in over the, and to grow into all that God has called you to grow into. You could be stuck with, with the fact that, that it might not be Christ-centered and they might be saying, you know what, you need to pursue another way of living. You need to pursue another way to live life. And that's, that's not good. And if, if someone's doing that, it could be, you could be stuck in the fact that I might not be valuable because I, you could be questioning your value simply because of all the junk that you have in your life or the gap that, you ha- that you're facing in your life. When someone can do that, you can move into honesty. But ultimately, at the end of the day, if you're not laughing and enjoying and being thankful for each other, ultimately, you're not in a healthy group of relationships. If it's always like this, this kind of just this always this, this nagging type of, oh, you're always feeling like you just can never be good enough, you're moving into a corner two bad connection. You're not corner four. Corner four, true connection. You want to stay there. And the way you do that is ultimately you're going to be a healthy group of people enjoying each other, laughing with each other, perhaps singing with each other, but that might be negative too in and of itself, but we'll go there later, right? Unless you're in Pastor Chris's group, then it's pretty, but, but it could, you know, we'll figure that out later. But you have this idea that you're singing, there's joy, there's gratitude, there's all this activity in this group of people or in this person because ultimately at the end of the day, it needs to be a healthy relationship uh, with healthy dynamics in order to allow the other three to do that. The biggest piece about healthy relationships or a healthy brain trust like this type of thing, like Epaphras shared with Paul, is, is the fact that you don't question whether the relationship should exist or not in moments of straight honesty. If you can trust the relationship, if you can trust the relationship knowing that I'd be able to say what I need to say, and I need to get this off my chest and have the other person not run, 
That's a good corner for a relationship. Even more so, if you can sit there and say what you need to say and then actually hear the feedback coming from the person that you're in a corner for a relationship with and not flee the relationship, that's a good relationship. Um, there's one leader that puts it this way. If he can hear the laughing in the room, he, know, he knows that the group will solve the problem because there's a sense of joy and laughter. When you have that type of, of, of lightheartedness, that, that type of energy in a group of people, you know they're going to solve the problems that they need to solve. And when that group of people is ultimately centered on Christ, you're going to become more like Christ in a good and healthy way. And so that's ultimately what we want to do. When we say love each other like that, you need to become safe people for each other, for someone, or you need to, become, you need to find a safe person that can ultimately defang the failures and the circumstances of life. You are incomplete without this type of person. Because ultimately what ends up happening is you, you, you end up being swallowed up by your own anxiety, by your own emotion. And if you don't learn how to be able to get to that type of person and have this awesome corner for a relationship where they're supporting you, they're ruggedly committed to you and fuel you up, but they're also telling you what you need to hear to defang the circumstances of life, you'll be in a spot that'll be able to be able to help you take next steps and ultimately love a person like Jesus loved. Now, certainly, it's, certainly you'll be, you know, you might not be uh, the, the front line, uh, uh, you might not be front line in the army anytime soon, right? Everyone's like, thank God, right? I'm not going to do that. But no matter what your gap might be, there's only so much that you'll be able to solve by yourself unless you have a corner for brain trust that will support you, but that will ultimately be safe, defanging the failures and circumstances of life with you so that you can pursue that. Now, we, got, we have a couple friends in our church that, that have experienced this in our groups over the last year. And, and I, I'm looking forward to you hearing their stories because what ultimately it's about is, hey, you know what? Life was transitioning. Life was changing. I found myself in a spot that I wasn't necessarily expecting to be in, and, and ultimately I needed people around me to defang the anxiety and the pain that I was about to go through. It was really tough. But people come around. God supplies relationships to help pursue him and take care of us as we ultimately, as we ultimately do become more like him. And so let's, uh, let's take a look at this story, and then we'll be able to finish up after we're done. My name is Andrew Bartlett, and I have been coming to CCC for about a year and a half or so. I did have a little bit of an issue, and that is I really liked coming here, but my wife and my kids really wanted to stay at the church that we had been going to for a while, and mainly due to the history of my wife. She grew up in that church, pretty much spent most of her life in that church. As a sing single female, okay, um, life can be very chaotic when you're trying to struggle along. Back in June, I had a bunionectomy on my foot, and I really wasn't well communicated with my doctor as far as what to expect when I got out of the hospital. So I got home, and I was home for like five days, and I realized I can't do this alone. For me, I'm very outgoing, um, but I hated the fact when I first started coming here that I didn't know a soul. 
I didn't know one person and to me I think that made it worse that I was walking into church without my family and it just really broke my heart that they were at one church and I was here but I just kept saying to myself at least we're all in church we're not all together but at least we're all in church I felt as though I really couldn't I had no resources my girlfriend Nancy was my only resource and I couldn't ask her to to give up her job during the day to come take care of me. But I really didn't, like, I thought about my small group, and, but I said, well, how, make, how are they gonna do anything? They work too and everything else, and how is this gonna work and everything? I joined my community group, and my number one prayer last year in 2016 was that God would help bring my family to this church. I probably every couple weeks would bring it up again to my community group and just ask them to continue to be faithful and continue to keep myself and my family in their prayers. And I know that they did and our community group leaders set up a group text messaging and so we are constantly staying in touch with each other as to what's going on and if any of us need extra prayer and you know it was nice to get the feedback from my group members. I'm praying for you, hang in there, be patient. So I came home and they had arranged um, for me meals every night. So it was like incredible. It was like I didn't have to worry about cooking for myself. And while I was home, I didn't, I couldn't do it. I couldn't, I mean, I was running around on a scooter. That was so, couldn't get my breakfast to the table. I couldn't get, it was really hard. So as the group came by, every night I had a different person bringing me a meal and it was fellowship too and everything. And some of them were great meals, serving one or two. And some of them were like a feast. I could have 15 people over. I could have that much food but um, it really made a big difference in my life and helped me not be so fearful, you know? So, and I think it was like maybe I did, they did that for another week. So like two weeks after, I was able to get myself acclimated and by then I was getting stronger. I was still in my boot, but at least I was able to put pressure on the heel of the boot and get around. It took a little while, but um, now they've been coming to the, our church for about a year now on a continual basis, which is fantastic. It's just such a difference now um, to come to church together as a family. And then also because of my small community group, it's great. I walk in here and I notice people and people come up and say hi. And I've gotten to know a lot of people through introductions of people in my group and then me just introducing myself to others. So it's been wonderful. CCC has been very good for my family and I. I love this church. I'm glad to be part of it. My small group's great. I learned that I can depend on them. I have 15 better friends that I know things about them, they know things about me, and, and it, it's it's comforting to know that. I mean, it's, it's a good feeling to have somebody around you. As you're walking through life as a single person, sometimes it's hard. Several of them came to visit me, and it was really a, a nice, it was a nice feeling. Nice, nice sense of, of secureness and everything. And it's continued to this day. I'm so glad I got into this small group. And I have 14 new friends. <laughs>
that God, because of your devotion to us and our devotion to you, we can be fully committed to each other. That God, that we can be safe people for each other as the pain of circumstances sometimes keeps us paralyzed. That God, we can ultimately look to you and look to a relationship that you've given us to become more like you. God, I pray today that we experience that this week. I pray today that you you allow each other, uh, you, you just allow us to, to dive into this, God, that we are Christ-centered, gospel-centered communities that, has, that we have junk, God, that we need to lay at your feet, that we are ultimately valuable in you, and we can be honest with each other, and we can be healthy in dynamics. But God, I pray that we get to a point in our relationships that we don't have to wonder whether or not they're going to stick around. God, I pray that you give us these corner four relationships that you've created us to be in. Help us find that in you. Help us find it in each other. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. He's a good God, church. Amen. Thank God. If, if Hey, if you're not in a group, the stuff that we talk about week to week, we'd love for you to go to the Next Steps Hub and ask about that. Connect to one of those uh, because we definitely see a lot of life as we pursue that. Hey, we love you. I hope, so glad you uh, braved the cold and the and the clock changed to be here today. We love you. We'll see you next Sunday. Thanks.